welcome to Big Blend Radio's Military Monday Show with Mike Guardia, award-winning author and historian. Hey everybody, today we're going to deep dive into Thanksgiving in military history. We've got a lot going on and we're also going to touch base on, since it's November, uh, Veterans Day. So of course, you know, we love our shows with Mike Guardia. He's an award-winning author, military historian and U.S. Army veteran and also named author of the year in 2021 by the Military Writers Society of America. So welcome back, Mike. How are you? Hi, Lisa. Hi, Nancy. I'm doing great. And it's always a pleasure to be on the show. Hey, always fun with you. Military Mike is in the house. Before we get to Thanksgiving, because you know what? I know you've got two stories to share with us. And the one I really, I didn't understand. I always thought it was about the pilgrims for Thanksgiving, but you're going to tell us a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's just touch on Veterans Days coming up, November 11th, Saturday, November 11th. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just recorded a show about, you know, our big weekly blend show with all the different holidays. And we were talking about Veterans Day and Johnny Schaefer. I don't, I think you might have been a show on a show with him, a musician, singer, mm-hmm. songwriter. He says, you know, on social media, I realized like I started noticing people don't know the difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Right. Yeah. So is what, what should we know? And what do you want people to know? For of course. Veterans Day? Of course. Well, you have Memorial Day. You also have Veterans Day. There's also a uh, Flag Day, which is uh, mm-hmm. which, which 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 is known as Armed Forces Day, and right. uh, those uh, those three separate holidays. They're ones that honor veterans, but uh, they honor them slightly differently. So when we talk about Memorial Day uh, specifically, that is a day that's dedicated to remembering veterans who have given their lives in the uh, right. in, in the service of this nation. So whenever we talk about Memorial Day, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, those who have uh, served in some capacity and uh, you know, have given their lives. Either they've uh, died by hostile fire or they've died in in the course of their duties. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really the essence of Memorial Day there. You know, you also have uh, you know, you also have Armed Forces Day, Flag Day. Uh, which is honoring um, all of the armed forces um, in their entirety. And uh, then you also have Memorial, uh, excuse me, you also have Veterans Day, which uh, coincides with the end of World War One. Initially, it was called Armistice Day to celebrate mm-hmm. the end of the First World War, the so-called war to end all wars. And uh, they particularly right. wanted a day to commemorate this war's end because they called it the war to end all wars. This war mm-hmm. took the brutality of combat to a level that I don't think any civilized person could have ever foreseen. You know, you had uh, you had the modern a- advent of uh, horrible weapons that, uh, you yeah. know, produced death on a massive scale. You had, uh, you know, you had aerial combat. You had uh, you had you had rapid fire machine guns, had trench warfare. And then you also had the advent of chemical warfare, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what they uh, what they have done in the years since it was called Armistice Day, it has become Veterans Day. And, uh, that is a blanket, that is a blanket term that applies to all veterans, whether, uh, they were, whether, uh, in the past or in the present, whether oh. they, uh, you know, whether they, uh, mm-hmm. whether they, um, have died in combat, whether they have, uh, died of natural causes or whether they are a currently serving member of the military or whether they were a veteran who served during peacetime. So anybody who took that, uh, oath of office and, Anyone who uh, took that oath to wear the uniform for any period of time mm-hmm. is honored on Veterans Day. 
Oh, yeah. So I always thought there was a split difference, like boom. And so now I'm wrong on the show. Anybody listening to the uh, November, you know, fifth through eleventh podcast, Big mm. Weekly Blend, don't listen to me. Don't listen to Lisa. <laughs> listen to Mike. Oh. Uh, but, okay. but it's true because it was, I always thought like veterans are for those who are living now and support those now. And Memorial no, Day is, is for those who have passed. That's what we always kind of Actually, thought. my grandmother taught me, if you see uniform as a child, you, she said, you can salute and they'll, they'll laugh at you and be kind to you as an adult. You better have something behind the salute, like you've served or, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that, that could be almost not a good thing to do. So, uh, but I'll bow down as in, I appreciate your service. I don't fully understand everything you ever did in the history of warfare. In the history of peace, but I appreciate your efforts mm-hmm. and it, what it did to your families, your relatives, and what it means. Uh, like when somebody goes off to war, it's not just them, and yeah. it has it has consequences down. It, it has consequences, and people forget that. I think they really do. Yeah. There should be a remembrance for, yes, fallen soldiers. Yes, those who are still serving. And yes, for the families who support them. That, that's the thing, the families, Mike. It's, I always think that all of this, we need to look at, you know, those who have served, like, like you, you've served, right? And you also were in the mm-hmm. reserves, right? And so right. you're, you're a veteran and someone we appreciate and, and thank mm-hmm. you. But I also believe it's about your family too. And, and so it is. when we look at Veterans Day, mm-hmm. Memorial Day, shouldn't we also be not only looking at the soldiers, men and women, um, but also the families? Oh, of course. I think, uh, you know, I, I think the families deserve a, uh, deserve a recognition. All of their own, yeah. because, you know, if, if, uh, if you serve in the military, whether you do your initial term of service or you, uh, serve for an entire career, it's not just a job. It's really not even a career. Uh, it is more of a lifestyle than anything else. And if you have a family, they are integrated into that lifestyle because the military has a, uh, has a culture all of its own, even amongst the, uh, even amongst the civilian family members. And uh, the loss is felt uh, by no one more greater than the families of those who have been killed or wounded in action or, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, because they're the ones who who have to try to pick up the pieces and uh, try to still function as a family unit, even though a big part of it is missing. Uh, you know, and that is a struggle unto itself. And, you know, that reminds me, it's also, it's also very timely because, uh, you know, uh, the whole Veterans Day season coincided very closely with the Battle of Ayo Drang in Vietnam back in 1965. That was, mm. that, that, that was the battle that, uh, that, uh, Hal Moore, uh, led the troops of the, uh, of the first of the seventh cavalry into. And, you know, we all know the opposite side of the story. Being that when his wife Julie was, you know, holding down the fort, essentially, 
And, uh, she was wow. a point of light for all of those military spouses. You know, she was the, uh, she was the primary point of contact for mm-hmm. all of, all, all of the bereaved war widows who, who were getting those telegrams, um, from, yeah. uh, from, from, from across the Pacific saying, saying that their husbands had been killed in action. And, uh, you know, she essentially had to be the, uh, she, she had to be the shepherd in a matter of speaking to help all of those bereaved yeah. wives, uh, re- re- really pick up the pieces. And, uh, it was her efforts that led to a more streamlined process and a system in place to actually make sure that these bereaved war spouses, uh, get the proper care that they need. You know, it, there's never going to be something that takes the sting out of the loss entirely, but no. there, uh, you know, there, there has to be some kind of uh, permanent support mechanism there where, you know, they, they can at least lean on somebody or some buddies to help them make sense out of uh out of the insane loss mm. yeah it, it's really Absolutely. true and i want people to know too that you know you talk about Helmore's wife and Helmore too you know um that uh for our new listeners especially that you wrote uh books about Helmore, um award-winning books uh Helmore, a soldier once and always um and also uh the biography chronicling his life uh, so, you know, you've done a lot in regards to how more uh, three books, right? You've got three because you got the pictures one too. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Three books, right? Um, so it's important for people to know, but, um, when you think about this, the, the veterans, those family and those who serve now, what would you say with Veterans Day coming up now? How should we approach that as civilians? What would be the most honorable way? Like Nancy was talking about the little kids saluting. Mm-hmm. Um, but then don't do it as an adult, do this, don't do that. And then I also know some veterans who just really want to be left alone about it. And, you know, they don't want to, oh, they, have, they don't, they, have, they, they, they need their time. They, they don't want to hear, time. thank you for your service. And so that's, so how do we bridge that? What can we do to understand more and do the right thing as best we can? Well, I think the best thing to do, um, it, just as a foundational way to start. Uh, and I think I've, I think I've said this in other contexts before. Um, but I think the, the best thing to do to, uh, lay the foundation would be just to be somebody worth fighting for, be somebody who would be worth that mm-hmm. sacrifice that all of our veterans have made, whether they, uh, whether they gave their lives for this country and uh or or they served a term or they did a tour of duty overseas and uh you know came back to came back to society with any number of any number of psychological scars is really just to be someone who was worth making that sacrifice for be a good person be a decent person Ooh, be well right. informed uh also be well informed because you know the uh the people that you put in office the people you vote for uh the decisions yeah. that make are going to directly affect the lives of uh, those people who are are serving on the front lines. I think that's a good way to lay the foundation. And uh, aside from that, I would say, you know, the best way to try to help the veteran in a more practical sense, I think would be to, uh, you know, to, to, just devote as much time as your means would allow to the organizations where you know veterans are going to be. 
if you could find time to help out at the local VFW or the American Legion or, okay. if, uh, or, uh, you know, if there are, you know, um, the DAV, the disabled American veterans, um, uh, they have drives where they will pick up a lot of your used and secondhand items. Uh, they'll actually pick it up from the curbside. I, I, I know they did that several years ago. Um, I, I think they still do that. And if they don't have the, if they don't have the delivery uh, pickup system, there is a DAV center where you can uh, drop those things off at. But, you know, try to give some portion of your time to the the organizations where you know veterans are being served because mm-hmm. if they can, you know if they if they at least see that or if they can feel the downstream effects of that in the form of a donation that would really be the best way for any number of non-military folks out there to devote their time mm-hmm. towards i'd love what- that I what about that. also, like, I know you've been on the shows where we've had bed and breakfast that do programs giving a night away for veterans and their, their loved ones. And then like baking cookies and sending them mm-hmm. out to active troops. Right. Do those things make a difference. Oh, absolutely. They do. Absolutely. They do. You know, they, uh, they really boost the morale for any number of troops out there. And, uh, they actually, uh, it actually segues into, uh, a very inspirational anecdote or two that I can think of because uh, I remember when I was putting together all the, uh, information and all of the, uh, all of the, uh, all the interview transcripts for the fires of Babylon and days of fury mm. that, uh, that so many of those desert storm veterans that I interviewed, uh, they were thrilled and they were even bolstered by a lot of the, uh, random care packages and notes of encouragement that they got from the folks back home. Uh, you know, they said that, you know, even during some of their darkest days, just those words of encouragement or those little small tokens of appreciation uh, went a long way into, you know, reminding them, hey, I when I get stuff like this, I know what I'm fighting for. This this isn't like Vietnam. Yeah. The, the, uh, the American people are solidly behind us. And mm-hmm. specifically, uh, I can think of uh, I, I can think of one incident and, uh, this I'll never forget. This, this one right here was a total win for humanity. Um, the, uh, it was when I was interviewing some ghost troop veterans, you know, they had these, uh, they had these, um, they, they had these brand new, uh, M2, M3 Bradley fighting vehicles that were shipped into theater and they were being shipped directly from the factory. You know, the, these were fresh off of the production lines. And, you know, when they opened up these vehicles for the first time and, you know, they were undoing all of the shrink wrap from all of the uh, controls and breaking out all the boxes of the uh, of the basic issue items that were included with the vehicle, you know, they uh, they would open these items and, you know, out would fall, you know, these bags of candy and all these baked goods and, you know, these little notes that were written by the factory workers. Yeah, the factory workers on the line would write notes like, hey, good luck, stay safe, you know, we're all pulling for you. And uh, I'm just like, man, that is so incredibly fast. Yeah. So I think it it is, it is interesting. And also um, there's a community, Three Rivers, California, right outside Mm -hmm. Sequoia National Park. Uh And um, they have uh, Heroes Appreciation Weeks in March. It's a small art community, but Mm -hmm. they do, they go in and it's for armed forces, like currently active. 
non-active, you know, I, I don't want to say non-active because they've been active, you know, those mm-hmm. who are retired in the military or police or in, mm-hmm. they just, they give them an award and say, thank you. And listen to one of their stories of who they are or if they're not going to speak because some people don't want to and yeah. don't need to, um, they stand up, someone will stand up and tell their story, their basic biography of what they've done to serve um, for the country. And I think there's just, there's so many things we can do. And I think parades are great, but I feel like when those individual things of what you can do, um, it's meaningful. And what mm-hmm. about when we look at, you know, I get so many press releases, as you know, and it's like, you know, press releases about veteran run companies that mm-hmm. make it be known like, Hey, we're veterans. We started this company. And then also about businesses who hire veterans and go out of their way to make sure, Hey, you have a place to come because at one point it seemed like there was a gap in veterans getting hired because of PTSD and things like that, that people shied away. But as far as I know, um, whenever you're overcoming something, one of the f- things you could best do is get busy, you know, and still, you know, get help. Obviously that, uh, that needs to happen, but um being accepted and knowing that you're still part of the force in a way. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I think the, I think the veterans community in terms of the corporate world is very strong and it's very close knit. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's wonderful how well they tend to look out for each other. Because I ha- had several comrades in arms. I had, uh, I had quite a few fellow officers who were, uh, transitioning out of the military at around the same time I was. And, uh, we were, we were very pleasantly surprised by the number of, uh, by, by, the, by not only the number of, uh, job fairs that were catering specifically to veterans, but a lot of headhunter and recruiting companies that were run by veterans and specifically matching veterans to potential employers. By way of example, uh, there was one company commander uh, who I had and uh, he was beginning to transition out of the military. He made the uh, hard decision after eight years on active duty that he was going to, uh, you know, he was going to leave the active force. And uh, he went to a job fair that was specifically hosted by one, one of these veteran uh, run um, headhunters and uh they would host about i'd say 35 to 50 veterans uh per conference and they would set them up in a hotel and uh they would do these round robin interviews in uh in a series of hotel rooms with a lot of these prospective employers Yikes. and they would be uh they would be uh employers that ran the gamut from like feral gas uh to BAE i think GM had a few representatives there but, uh, you know, you would interview for positions in a specific line of work, whether it was sales or operations or logistics, something that could uh, be tied directly back to whatever experience that you had in the military. Um, mm. Yeah, a, a mm. lot of it, really, really a lot of it being mid-level management. Um, but it was the kind of fair where you interviewed with what was essentially a test battery of employers and you would leave there with a handful of offers. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, many of uh, the fellow officers that I knew who would attend these conferences 
would come back and said, yeah, you know, I got a job offer from, from Exxon Mobil or I had, I, I had a job offer from Bank of America. And, uh, yeah, they, they would be, they would be very pleased. And then I would check in on them a few years later and they'd say, yeah, well, you know, the, uh, the, this was a great way for me to get my foot in the door. And, you know, I spent three to four years or what, whatever it was as a production supervisor. And then I was able to, I, I was able to leverage that experience into an upper management position at another company. So, you know, whether, whether you use it as a springboard or whether hey. you find a permanent post army yeah. home, uh, it, it always tends to work out for the better. Uh, I love that. Yeah, that's, I love that's, that's also, thing, you know, because year. it gives you time to get your foot in uh-huh. and regroup and rethink. No, I think that's awesome. Well, it is because it is a change that. from being going from military to oh, civilian yeah. work life is is two different things. But it's you know I think that's also why how more lessons in leadership that book is so good, right? Doesn't that also for your book when you wrote that, and I know you also do seminars on that. Does that help military individuals go like you know, hey, I'm leaving the military and going into you know corporate or business? It doesn't really matter. You know, leadership can be anything. Right. Self-leadership. It starts with self-leadership, right? Yeah. So does I, that book and those lessons help? I think it does. You know, I mean, there are some baseline soft skills that you, you can refine in the military, leadership and management being one of them. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, uh, it's something that, uh, shows that you are adaptable and that you are also resilient. And it shows that, you know, even if you're going into a line of work with which you're not entirely familiar with, say, like if you were an artillery officer and you did like a five or six year tour of duty and then suddenly you get a job offer to be an operations manager with a natural gas company. You know, the fact that you know how to run teams and you know how to psychologically read people and know how to motivate and keep the momentum of a group going forward, that right there is a good foundation. And, uh, you know, you, if you start with that and you get your foot in the door that way, you, uh, you, you find that a lot of these veterans, they have a very steep learning curve to, um, not only learn the ins and outs of the industry, but also be very innovative and, uh, be, incredibly flexible to think on their feet. And if I can use uh, just one example, I remember in the case of my dad, as a matter of fact, when uh, he first left the military before, you know, he, he went on to, uh, for, before he went on to bigger and better things in the oil and gas industry, uh, when he, when he left, and I, I think I'm remembering the story correctly. And if not, he can correct me later, but, <laughs> um, but uh, it, I remember him telling me his first job after he left the service was as I believe it was a, a production supervisor for uh for an oil and, and gas company or oversaw overseeing this one uh, overseeing this one particular team and uh you know, within only a few weeks on the job you know he found ways to improve uh a lot of the internal processes there and uh you know saved both time and money for the whole team and uh you know that uh, that was awesome. just uh, that was just one of the one of the big contributions that he had there during his first year and you know that set the foundation for him to go on and do bigger and better things so you know that's a, a awesome. personal example that's a personal example that uh that I can give no that's wow. awesome that's well, awesome the other, 
the other thing I wanted to touch on just on some of the past discussions is when, you know, veterans transitioning into a new field is veterans, uh, those who were fighter pilots, you were mm-hmm. talking about this, that a lot of them actually end up, you know, being pilots for commercial airlines, like, mm-hmm. you know, Boeing or like mm-hmm. American Airlines or Southwest or whatever, but even right. cargo, you know, that mm-hmm. they go, they still fly. And, you know, when you think about moving on your feet and, and even this, you know, we know pilots and some of the pilots we know, they're like, oh no, we are trained like if stuff goes down to handle it. And so I think about that in the security of air, you know, uh, flight and, and, uh, transporting people and, um, that you do want someone from the military or fighter pilot to be taking you across the sea. Well, you mm-hmm. want somebody educated in what could happen and what you do if it does happen. And I know they do repeated exercises to make sure that they, it's almost second reflex. They don't just like, oh, here, read this manual and then get it right on the day that something might happen. They do repeated ex- exercises. As far as what I've read, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they exercise and repeat the exercises till it's almost second nature. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong? No, no, you're not wrong. You know, I mean, that, that, that really is the basis of how you learn, you know, uh, mm-hmm. re- repetition is the mother of all learning. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Wow. So lots of information for veterans day. And um, remember, it's not just one day, just saying, mm-hmm. you know, that we've got to bring that up. So Mike, Thanksgiving, yes. military yes, history. So, um, Thanksgiving is not just about the pilgrims and, uh, the Native Americans getting together. And there's a whole bunch of history on that, that people get, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to rile up the history stuff. You know what I mean? Let's not get political, but, um, honestly, it, 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 I did not know this, um, about George Washington. So Mm. can you tell us about that? Because, um. I really, of course. Was, I mean, that is a difference that maybe we don't realize, right? Is it just me? Cause I don't know. Well, um, no, no, because, you know, the, uh, the history of Thanksgiving in America, it, it has a rather long and a pretty convoluted history. I mean, if mm-hmm. we wind the clocks back to the 1600s when the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock, and, you know, we, we take a look at some of their early struggle, uh, their early struggles and their interactions with Samoset and Squanto and how they gave thanks, you know, um, and how they, how, how they broke bread with the Native Americans saying, Hey, we give thanks to, uh, God and our friends, uh, the natives here for, you know, for being able to survive the harsh conditions here in the, here in the wilderness, all in the name of religious freedom and tolerance. Uh, you know, it is true that that's where it started, but it had a very slow path to catching on because, you know, you had, you had that first tradition there with the pilgrims and the Native Americans. And yeah, that's where we can point 
to its origin, but it really wasn't formalized until over a century later because, you know, that first celebration was, uh, it was remembered, but it wasn't commemorated every year. You know, if we, uh, if we look back, if we look back through history, you know, the, uh, the feast at, at the, at the Plymouth colony was just one point. And then it wasn't until 18, excuse me, it wasn't until 1777 that we, uh, see a more formal in- incarnation of Thanksgiving. Now, if we take a look at the timeline here, the fall of 1777, we were right smack dab in the middle of the American Revolution. And, uh, things were not going very well for the Continental Army at this point. We, uh, you know, we, we had already, we'd already signed and ratified the Declaration of Independence. We were, uh, we were a, uh, we were more than two years at this point into the active shooting war against the British. And we really only had one appreciable victory to point to. And that was at the Battle of Trenton. That was where we, we broke tradition by fighting on Christmas and we, you know, crossed the frozen Delaware River. That's where you have that iconic picture of George Washington and the boat and they're crossing the river and what, what, what looks like to be icebergs in there. Uh, so that was really the, uh, first appreciable victory we had. But by the middle of 1777, it uh, looked like we were still on the ropes. We had gotten in a few lucky punches, but we really needed a big, solid yeah. victory that we could point to, you know, in an in an open field battle. And the Second Battle of Saratoga really gave us that victory we needed. Now, historians can debate as to whether or not Saratoga was the turning point or whether Trenton was the turning point. But the fact remains that uh, after the uh, Battle of Saratoga was done and it was clear it's that fine. we had won the day. Uh, we said, you know what? We really need to have a day of remembrance and a day to give gratitude for this victory that we've had against the British. We considered it a godsend. So what George Washington did was he called for a day of Thanksgiving that was on December 18th of that year. And he was celebrating the victory of the colonial army and their win against the British. And, uh, you know, of course, you fast forward a few years later, the British have their final defeat at the Battle of Yorktown in 1781. And uh, then two years later, we have our independence formally recognized. Well, when George Washington officially becomes the first president of the United States, uh, he had the, he had uh, he was the one to issue the formal declaration of a Thanksgiving Day, quote unquote, and that was when uh, that was, you know, during his uh, first year in office. And he set the date for November 26 of 1789. Hmm. Well, uh, that was the first formal observance of Thanksgiving Day. Um, but it still really didn't catch on as an annual tradition. It was more of a token holiday that was proclaimed that people knew was there, but they didn't really celebrate. And it was just kind of a thing that you knew was going on in the background. It was a, um, I, I don't even know if this is a good analogy. It's probably just the best one that I can think of at the moment. It's like, uh, you know, happy, happy boss's day or happy siblings day. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah you know, it, 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 it's, true. yeah, yeah. It, it, and you're it was, like, so right. what? Yeah. It was more it, 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 of a token it, holiday than, than anything else. It, yeah, if it doesn't pertain to you personally, you're like, yeah. so what? Yeah. 
So, you know, it was something that we just looked at as like, oh, you know, hey, this is a point in history when something happened. It was a long time ago. You know, it's like, let's celebrate the anniversary of whatever. Uh, but you fast forward about 75 years later when we're in the middle of the Civil War. And uh, now the need to give thanks really takes on a new meaning because this is a crisis that is quite literally ripping our nation apart. And uh, it was in 1863 that Abraham Lincoln decided that he was yeah. going to renew the celebration at the height of the Civil War, saying, hey, in the middle of uh, this very trying time in our nation's history, mm. which no one has ever experienced before, let's give a day of thanks and let's be thankful for the things that we still have. Uh, the outcome of this war is still up in the air, but uh, you know what? Let's make this a uh, let's make this an official tradition instead of just a random federal holiday oh, that's on the wow. books. Uh, so for so for many years thereafter, that uh, I think after after the Civil War ended, and I think more so even after Lincoln's assassination, uh, the presidents who followed them said, "Okay, well, this is a tradition we need to keep up." if for nothing else than to honor Abe Lincoln's legacy. Yeah. Um, because, you know, hey, uh, coming back together after a bloody civil war, yeah, I think we should uh, take pause to be to be grateful that this bloody conflict is over. Yeah, and, he rallied, uh, he yeah. rallied the troops in his own uh-huh. personal way. Yeah, it, it was. Um, it, but, you know, even though it became a cyclic holiday at that point, uh, there, there was still uh, there was still a lot of confusion as to which mm-hmm. day in November it would actually fall on. And yeah. uh, and uh, and there were, um, you know, because uh, normally it would be, you know, like, OK, whatever uh, is the final Thursday of the month. Um, but. You know, yeah. oddly enough, uh, again, we have a turning point during a time of conflict and it was World War II. Uh, it was World War II where two years in a row, uh, November had five Thursdays. So mm-hmm. th- this was causing a lot of confusion amongst a lot of people saying, okay, exactly. well, uh, what, what, which one are we celebrating? Is it going to be the fourth Thursday, the fifth Thursday? And, you know, I because, know. It's, because so it's like, yeah, it's like last year we only had four Thursdays. What are we doing here, guys? And, uh, then it was finally in 1942 uh, that Congress passed its resolution, making it an official law saying, hey, every fourth Thursday of November is going to be Thanksgiving Day. We, we, we It doesn't matter if November has five Thursdays or four. No, no, no. It's always going to be that fourth Thursday of November. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, 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 they said, you know, that's just going to be the day that it's observed. Yeah, the uh, the pilgrims probably had a different concept of uh, when Thursday was, or you know what uh, what 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 time of the week that it was uh, supposed to fall on. But that's going to be the day, signed, sealed, delivered, that we're going to celebrate huh. a day of thanks. And but- they made it clear that uh, you know, hey, uh, we, we should keep this tradition going forward because we were the first nation really to make a national holiday huh. celebrating thanks. So yeah. Well, I mean, and and it is true, whether it's the wrong date or the right date, the sentiment is the same. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. where, okay, so on all of this, yeah, so the pilgrim thing was kind of like a symbolic thing, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the Indian side of it, are like, dude, we gave you this and then you screwed us, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, I um, get that too. 
See, I'm not as eloquent as Mike. Sorry, but I mean, it, but I'm just, you know, brass tacks on it. It, it, it just, you know. So this is really fascinating. So now, what about was this is was so now we have Thanksgiving every fourth Thursday. Which I Correct. think is cool. I mm-hmm. it's but the same thing as when we talk about Native Veterans Day. Americans participated in the first Thanksgiving. They did. That would well the very first. That was the first, that's when people landed, you know. But, I mean, you know. That's a symbolic thing of unity, but it really Mm -hmm. isn't true because then there was, a you know, Indian Wars and things, you know. Um, So the unity later didn't happen. Even though there was unity and giving at the beginning, it didn't last that long. It's kind of like family fights during Thanksgiving. Everyone's happy when they all get together, and then by the end of the evening, someone did something oh, somewhere they shouldn't. <laughs> just kidding. No. But yeah, I'm just kidding. But you know what I mean. Um, it, it's interesting to me the evolution of Thanksgiving, Mike. I it just I did not know all this at all. Well, I just everybody, and I think most people just go right to the Pilgrim times, you know, of Thanksgiving. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, and that's kind of still close when you think of it, right? Right. About the timeline, or am I way off? Am I off a couple hundred years? Well, it, it, it's I, we, my timeline. If, if we take a bird's eye view of it, then yeah, I mean, it is pretty close. I mean, yeah, the the, the the couple hundred years in the grand history of the world. I mean, it's, it's really nothing. not all that much. Yeah, no, it's nothing. Uh, nothing by the hundred millions. Yeah, but, yeah, but things can change in two hundred years drastically. Yeah. Changes can occur that are radical. Yeah. It, that you're like, oh, well, it's only 200 years. What could happen? Mm-hmm. A whole bunch of stuff could happen. Yeah. So now what about what happened in Luxembourg? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had a party, I heard. <laughs> Am uh-huh. I right? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Tell, tell us about Luxembourg. This is okay. now, yeah. Tell us about that because uh-huh. so now Thanksgiving because forty. Yeah. You were saying nineteen forty-two, and then What's now it? it's a new thing. Like, so okay. Luxembourg yeah. was this country, then it was that country, then it was this country. It's right. like on the border or something. It kept switching identities. Wow. Uh, well, it was, it, it's, uh, it's an incredible story. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So if you take the country of Luxembourg, that, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's one of the smallest countries in the world and, uh, yeah. you know, certainly, uh, certainly a, uh, small, tiny little, uh, out- outlet there in Western Europe. Well, uh, American GIs and the civilians in Luxembourg, they actually, uh, shared a, Johnny on the spot Thanksgiving celebration in November of 1944. And, uh, 1944 was really the watershed year in a lot of ways for at least the Western Allied effort. Because, you know, now we had, uh, now we, now we firmly, uh, had Italy within the Allied fold. We had, uh, we had established that base of operations there on the Italian peninsula. We had invaded not only Northern France, but also Southern France. And, uh, we were consolidating all of our forces within occupied France. We were pushing forward and we were pushing the Axis forces to the 
the very border uh, of the fatherland. And yeah, things were, things were really looking to turn solidly in the Allies' favor. And, uh, you know, of course, November of 1944, that's right before the Battle of the Bulge. But, uh, you know, then, yeah, as we are crossing the borders from France into Germany proper, that's when, that's when the tiny country of Luxembourg, which, uh, for many, I think was just an afterthought, you know, it, uh, you know, it, uh, you know, it, uh, it came to, you know, it, it, it came to pass that, oh yeah, there's this tiny little, uh, speck of territory between, between the, uh, the two bigger nations of uh, France and Germany. And of course it's being occupied. So we have to liberate this and, you know, and, uh, put this, uh, within the, uh, within the allied, allied occupied mm-hmm. territory now. So let's see. So, um, at this point, Luxembourg had been firmly under the Nazis thumb for the better part of four years. And, and, uh, it was, it was finally in September of 1944 that that uh, the grand duchy of luxembourg was was um uh was w- was liberated uh from from nazi control mm-hmm. and it actually became a uh it actually became an r&r billet for uh, the number of uh us troops who were, yeah. who were in the who were in the european theater because you know you try to rotate these troops on and off the line so that they don't suffer from too much battle fatigue well one of the places that they would go to uh, get some in theater rest and recuperation and also, you know, also, mm-hmm. uh, also some medical recuperation to determine whether or not they could be sent back to the front lines or whether they would have to be medically shipped back home was Luxembourg. So, uh, thousands of GIs were stationed there temporarily, you know, for any rest and relaxation and, uh, part of any R and R leave, you know, you also have, uh, some opportunities for, uh, for recreation. And, uh, you know, as they were, as they were retooling themselves and also retooling their equipment, you know, the, the citizens of Luxembourg and being that it is such a small country, it's a very tight knit community in there. You know, many of the people are related and they know each other. So they, uh, they decided to get together and say, you know what? We really need to show our appreciation for these American GIs who are here. They're a force for good and they're here to get rid of the Nazis. So, uh, they wanted to, uh, they wanted to show genuine gratitude. And despite the very big language barrier, cause, you know, they didn't have mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, they, they didn't have a lot of translators. You know, the people of Luxembourg came out in force to, uh, you know, provide some fun and provide some entertainment and more than anything, provide some food for mm-hmm. a, yeah, a lot of the, uh, yeah, for a lot of these weary GIs. So, mm-hmm. uh, in the farming villages and the small towns, all, throughout greater Luxembourg, you know, you had, uh, you had a lot of these farm communities, um, hosting, hosting these, uh, hosting these, uh, these mm. Thanksgiving dinners, um, hosting mm. these, uh, you know, hosting these games and these activities for a lot of these troops. And, uh, you know, the troops took incredibly well to it, not only on account of the hospitality, but, uh, the fact that, uh, these Luxembourg citizens were just tremendous cooks. I mean, they, take homemade cooking and baking to a whole new level, you know, to, uh, you know, to the point that many of these, that point that many of these GIs had never seen before. And keep in mind that uh, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these recruits and draftees are, are, you know, coming off the throes of the great depression where, you know, getting three square meals a day was uh, something that was pretty hard to come by. So if you're being, uh, so if you're being fed by these very generous people of Luxembourg and, you know, you've gone from uh, eating maybe, once a day, if you're lucky, to maybe getting three 
canned rations a day and then boom you know you're suddenly you you know you're suddenly treated to all of these uh all, all of these loaves of bread all of these pies all of these uh oh, all, all of these all of these birds of prey that have been that have been skinned skewered and cooked for your delight mm-hmm. i mean you uh that, that's probably the closest thing to heaven you're going to find on the front lines i told you this yeah. was a party like it yeah. was and it's a widespread one that's mm-hmm. a bit you know okay. when we when we were in south africa we um we were doing the tour with Nancy's artwork, um, and she was doing it as a fundraiser for the cancer, the National Cancer Association. And so we ended up staying in different homes and all kinds of like people's homes and that were, um, fundraising and stuff. You know, we were doing all these different events and we were somewhere and they heard that we were American and they put on a Thanksgiving feast for us. And I'd never mm-hmm. had Thanksgiving because I didn't grow up there, you know. And they did um a sweet potato pie as close mm-hmm. as what they thought we had yams or whatever. It's not like they could Google it back then. It was this is way back when. And um they did what they I mean, I don't yeah. even remember eating turkey and I don't no, remember but they eating did that much what turkey. They, they did what but they thought they could replicate American yeah. Thanksgiving would be like. And it was the sweetest it, thing it ever. It was way better. I have to say, oh, shh, don't say that. But I mean, it was really thoughtful, and Nancy and I were totally taken aback. Like, yeah, somebody amazing. went out of their way to remember our amazing. holidays in this country. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's pretty special. Just to have been on it's that amazing. side of it is amazing. It was, yeah, it was sweet, you know, and, um, I don't know, it's just really thoughtful. It goes with what we were talking about for Veterans Day, right? Mm-hmm. About those thoughtful moments. What can well, change people's world? Stopping, you know? stopping to think. Okay. That's the first step. Stop to think. And then to appreciate. Mm-hmm. Okay. That would be the second step. And the third step would be take some kind of action, whether it be a donation or helping a veteran that lives next to you that needs some help, or something. Stop thinking and act. I, you know, it just is part of being human, as opposed to being so wrapped up in your own stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we get that way. We do. We all do. So it's not like anybody's being evil or anything you get wrapped no. up in your own stuff to cope with it because everything moves so fast but yeah. stop thinking and take some action to do something outside yours yeah well that's for everyone i mean in general mm-hmm. so well yeah for us yeah because it, i mean if we don't help each other we're going to be mm-hmm. in trouble down right. the road. Well, isn't that part of, you know, the stories you share, Mike, in your books, like even going to hell more, look how many people you rescued. That's right. You know, he went beside himself and that's what the military does. Mm-hmm. They risk everything, everything, life, life is everything. Right. And I, so that's something to, to think about. And um, I wanted to, I wanted to bring up the, your next books. So what's happening? I know, yeah. Okay, are we at twenty one or twenty two now? Got I've got to. I always have to regroup on. Uh, this yeah. is twenty five. 
actually. Yeah. Oh, so wow. I have. Yeah. Dude. So I'm still, so, I'm still behind then. Yeah. It's <laughs> okay. I can't keep up with you, Mike. It's okay. It's okay. 20, number 25 is what's coming up in, next. In, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I have, I have finished the draft to a book called Fire in the Hole. And that is a story about Charlie Company of the first engineer battalion when they served in Vietnam. And, uh, for any listeners out there who are unfamiliar with the combat engineers, um, essentially what they do is, uh, they are your battlefield demolitions experts uh they have everything to do with minefields they either set minefields they clear minefields they build tactical obstacles they uh they 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 dig tank ditches um they uh they use a lot of earthen works and they do everything they can to assist the maneuver forces in terms of setting up obstacles that uh that will slow or impede the enemy's movement and uh, aside from that, uh, you know, they, they move and they function alongside the maneuver forces. And whenever, uh, whenever required, they also fight as provisional infantrymen. And, uh, you know, they, they have such a critical role on the battlefield. Um, and it's kind of surprising that they don't get more stories told about them in the course of mainstream history. Uh, so some of the, some of the stories, uh, that are included with this book that I just finished, uh, you know, tell not only of the, uh, you know, of the perils of, of being, uh, of being a combat engineer in Vietnam, but it's also against the backdrop of that first year of America's combat mission over there. And, it, you know, it, it, it's so interesting to see the trajectory of American public opinion throughout that war because, the first year that yeah. we were over there in the true combat mission, this was 1965 to 1966, uh, when the first engineer mm-hmm. battalion arrived there, uh, the, the majority of Americans were solidly behind the mission. I mean, they Absolutely. were, I mean, they were getting letters of encouragement from the home yeah. front. Uh, Absolutely. you know, uh, they, they, they were being, uh, they were being seen off with, you know, people who were waving the American flag. We mm-hmm. uh, thought that this mission was part of the greater crusade against communism. Yep. It was, I mean, it, it was just poorly executed at, at the strategic level, but uh, you know, the, uh, the, the sentiment was all the same mm-hmm. that, you know, even though most of these guys were draftees and they were only serving a, a small term of service, you know, the, 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 the troops who deployed there with the class of 1965, they uh they were incredibly yeah. competent in what they did they had a belief in the mission they had a belief in each other uh you know and uh they they were just they were just making monkeys out of the viet cong left and right and uh you know when when they redeployed home it was still a it was still a somewhat warm reception for them because 1966 america is still very much in favor of the war mm. the body counts are all in our favor um, it wasn't really until after the Tet Offensive that uh, public uh, public backlash just went yeah. uh, just just went yeah. crazy. I mean, and mm. you know, it, it was it was interesting to see how these guys because when they came back, some of them ended up serving second tours, others uh, others ended up returning to civilian life. But they said it it was so hard for us to wrap our heads around because 
we went over there and everything was fine. And then, you know, just like about a year or two after we came back, we see a lot of our, we, we, we see a lot of our brothers in arms, uh, you know, coming back from, uh, you know, coming back from Vietnam and people are spitting on them. People are protesting. Yeah. People are calling them horrible. baby killers. And we're like, no, my God, what the hell happened? Yeah. I, <laughs> press. I, I can tell you what happened. It was the press. I don't know why it changed. But the press about the Vietnam War and, and a little bit even before, it's political. I, I, that's, I, in my mind, go back to who were the senators, who were the congressmen. Mm-hmm. It's political and they control the press, whether people want to hear that or not. Sorry, but there it is. And. As uh, you know, growing up during that era, and I was so, oh my God, so many of my friends went to Vietnam. I was like heartbroken mm-hmm. because I didn't think they'd come back, and a lot of them didn't. And the press, I was like, screw you, assholes. What mm-hmm. are you saying? So nice, Nancy. <laughs> no, no, I'm I agree. Sorry. I agree. <laughs> yeah, but I was so pissed off. About the way they talk about people who sacrifice their lives, their life to protect our country and the idea of democracy and freedom. And so I'm still angry. Can't get past it. I was so angry, but I'm still angry about the stupidity, blockheadness, like, uh, I'm going to suck it. Okay, Nancy. But, sorry. Yeah. But that's how I felt, and I still feel that way. I haven't changed my mind at all. I think the people who went to Vietnam due to the, um, they tried to protect this country. Mm-hmm. And they were forced into it as it being drafted. Right, so well, oh yeah, that, that's the, the other part of it that. too. You're 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 here in this country and you're being drafted, and mm-hmm. so you're you're going to have to do that. And and but I think you know, it, I don't think anybody signed up to be evil. No, they put no, their no. life on the line. So these people, yeah, yeah, come on. Yeah. Anyway, there's their, there's. Yeah. So, when do you think this is going to come out, Mike? Uh, well, actually, I'm uh, I'm doing what I can to expedite the process and get this uh, mm. get this to market in time for the first of December. I mean, the draft itself is done. I just uh, I just got to put it through the production timeline, which uh, you know is a uh, is actually a yeah, pretty quick turnaround. Process. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, if I can get this out. Uh, it, it, because the, the the selling season will start to ramp up for book sales right around Black Friday, and yeah. uh, if I can get this out in time for Cyber Monday, man, that'll be great because it'll uh, it'll be hitting critical mass in time for the holiday season, mm. which uh, which stays relatively high throughout January. And uh, you know, it, it's always, I've, I've noticed for military history, uh, the, the the big seasons for that are are uh, are November December. Spilling over mm-hmm. into January, of course, because of the holidays, but then also right. um, May to early July, because that not only straddles Memorial Day 
It also yeah. straddles a lot of graduations and Father's huh. Day and uh, and um, Flag Day and, and yeah. also Fourth of July. So those are big. Uh, those are big uh, selling seasons. That's military history. history. Yeah, but, but you know yeah. that that's a, it's interesting about that. And at the same time, I'm like everyone support a veteran who's writing about military history. Twenty five darn books. Oh my God, and they're good. And listen, even if you don't understand the military, be like me and start reading them and you'll start to learn. I mean, Mike's books um, are telling the stories of people. Um, Some of them do get into like the gear of a, you know, F-15, but I never thought I'd even know what an F-15 was or an F-14 or any of that, you know, but that's the thing. Um, So I I encourage people to check them out because you're going to hear the stories. We all love those stories. And Mike, finds these heroes um, mm-hmm. and and people just did stuff you know did good stuff and um all for our mm-hmm. country and people in the country so i encourage you to check it out um go to mikeguardia.com and follow him on youtube man he does all kinds of cool stuff on youtube on facebook mm-hmm. on instagram he's there now he's been there all year it's cool <laughs> and uh twitter oh. Oh, X is the spot, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but he's there too. Uh, but follow him because he's always posting cool information. And, um, and when his new book comes out, you'll be the first to know because, um, if you follow him, you will. And of course, we'll have him back, uh, on December, first Monday in December. He's here every first Monday. So, oh, we're, we're going to have to do some more good stuff and maybe we'll be talking about your new book if all goes well. Right, Mike? So we're looking so. forward to that. It'll be yes, fun. Thank you so much, as always. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Mike. And hey, Mike, Mike. happy Thanksgiving and happy happy Veterans Day. And a very (laughs) happy Veterans and Thanksgiving Day to you. Thank you. Back at you. Thank you for listening to Big Blend Radio's Military Monday show featuring Mike Guardia, award-winning author and historian. Keep up with Mike and his books at mikeguardia.com. Follow us at BigBlendRadio.com.